0: Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories podcast. Today it's myself, Mark, and I'm joined by the invaluable, intoxicating, Poddy. Poddy, how the hell are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. I wanted to jump in there where you always get in with the fancy descriptions. Yes. And I want to show that I'm I'm just as capable as you. Ah, yes.
1: The inviolable would not be an accurate one. Inviolable? What's that mean again? Uh, It means you can't be uh, polluted, you can't be... uh, um changed that does not count for either of us no no certainly not even with that
0: when you use a word there and I don't understand it I am so comfortable just going I don't know yes I've gotten really used to it and it's something I struggled with for a long time but I I think it was a fear of being perceived
1: as being ignorant but I really enjoy being ignorant and let's face it a lot of us uh, verbose wordy people uh, are doing it because we want you to go I don't know what does that mean and then you explain (laughs) it you know Uh, yeah, but
0: it's like that, even when our customers come in, obviously we get visitors in from all over the world to do all sorts of things. i listen to them talk about anything at the end of a tour.
1: Oh yes, yeah. Like, when we had Monique Berg over from the, the Occitan in uh, France, yeah, uh, she did part of her story in her native language, in the Ox, which is a, quite a rare language. And it was very entertaining. I hadn't a clue what she was saying, but yeah. I was entertained.
0: I think I think I think the world becomes a much more enjoyable place when you can allow yourself to just enjoy not knowing things.
1: Yes, yes the
0: pressure uh, just falls away.
1: Ignorance does. is bliss, party yeah, they it say. <laughs> it is that's for sure. And uh, we've uh, we've just come through uh, Halloween as this goes out. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite thing about Halloween? It's guilt-free. Right.
0: No, I know that's a strange one, but in yeah. terms of I don't know, in terms of celebrations growing up in Ireland, Easter had a mass that went along along with it. So did St. Patrick's Day, Christmas. Everything had a mass and Halloween doesn't.
1: Okay, are you sure you want to say that? Well, no. Technically, it has two... Go on. It has the feast of the dead and the feast of uh, no. When I say
0: mass, I'm talking of growing up as a you know.
1: There is one of them is the holy day of obligation. Oh, is it? Yeah.
0: Oh, there's my ignorance again showing. I think we've got a theme for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like as a kid growing up, it was all about kind of like it it was. You could just enjoy it.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Those kind of those kind of holy days as well are tend to be guilt free because. Uh, people could always say, "Oh, I have to go to work." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm working that
0: day. Yeah. That was that was my favorite thing. I could literally just. It was just about enjoying myself. Yeah. Uh, and even now, I much prefer it to Christmas, even as an adult. I and mean, Christmas is great for like abundance and that, you know, and overdoing things. But I just I don't enjoy it the same way as I do a Halloween. Right. The pressure's off with Halloween. It's not about buying presents. That's true. So you don't have that like kind of. I know, as a parent, like, and it's always a financial burden for any occasion. You want to make sure your kids have what they want and all that, but it's just a lack of burden around Halloween that I enjoy.
1: Yeah, the slapdash of it is quite nice. Mm. These these kind of only shopping M and S people who who want to make it all. You want to decorate heavily and buy the best sweets and the most elaborate costumes. Yeah. The the bus was driving past the school today and the kids were coming out in their homemade costumes. Yeah. There was one kid and he was clearly dressed up as a UFO and they'd made it at home. And yeah, it it just that's great to me
0: that there's. And it's the time you put in with them, like kind of like making those costumes. I obviously yeah. I go to the likes the Comic
1: Con and that, and my kids go, and I love working on their costumes with them. Uh, Christmas is so much about having the perfect thing for Christmas to yeah. engage that Christmas spirit. I, I Halloween is more put in the amount of effort that you want to put in, and you'll get immense enjoyment out of it. Yeah.
0: Even when you look at the traditions, like, like the origins and looking at sound, mm. uh, it is still a great time of year. Like, you know, you're celebrating oh, yeah. the people who are gone. It's about who's not there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no point buying a present for someone who's not there. Yes. You know? Um, yeah, I don't know. So that's kind of what I like about it. What was, what was Halloween like for you, like sound for you growing up in Kerry?
1: Um, well, it was, uh, <laughs> there was always the, the refuse sack. The yes. plastic your sack over the body and mm. uh, the the plastic mask that your mom picked up in the yeah in the in the and supermarket gets sweaty on the inside yeah. and yeah.
0: Uh, the the plastic where the elastic band joins so it, it kind of breaks and scratches the side oh. of your face. <laughs> it used to irritate my beard as a child. As well. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. it, it's also it is the best time of year for stories. Mm. It's that thing of like kind of when you. When you kind of like when it gets getting darker and the imagination has to work more, Mm -hmm. you know, there's that thing of like if you supply the images for everything, how are you ever meant to imagine anything? Yeah, and and I think the darkness kind of closing in around us it just makes for the perfect stories. Mm.
1: There was a complaint when I was a child that Halloween was too American, and I was trying to (laughs) explain to people that yeah it was taken up by but it is our invention that's yes. one of my favourite things about Halloween yeah. it's our invention The uh, when the Pope was selecting the two feast days for Halloween uh, he there was already the Celtic festival at yeah. that time of year of the dead, and that's why he picked it um, so it, in a sense we can take ownership of it and go yeah that's our deal
0: and yeah I'm not as proud of St. Patrick's Day
1: no no he was from Cumbria yeah, It was English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's only part of the reason. Not to
0: but I think there is a general kind of enthusiasm and innocence and something childlike about Halloween that's yeah. just just fun. Yes. It's a perfect time for storytelling. Yeah. Uh, as I said, and and again, the best stories are said at this time. Even when you look at stories like Fionn becoming leader of the Fianna. Yes. I mean, the, the image of fire that we have fires associated with all four of our big festivals. Yes. Uh, I think it's the darkness of sound. I think a bonfire on a dark night is so much better than a bonfire at three o'clock in the afternoon on a spring day. It's true. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. Um, but the story we're going to get today, we're going to get a story from Nisha. And yes. the thing
1: is, this is a story that all three of us tell. Yes.
0: On the regular.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, very brave of him to uh, to put it forward in front of the two lads that also do the story. What, do you, what do you, I, yeah. I,
0: I'm getting it. It's like, I'm getting like a... A Gordon Ramsay bang off you there, and yeah, you're talking about. He's to down the gauntlet to Gino De Campo.
1: <laughs>
0: but you know, it is taste it's... the wine, Gino. <laughs> don't, don't <laughs> just... But it, but it's amazing, actually, like kind of from listening to him telling it, is we, we all tell it so differently. Yes. You know so... what I mean, and we've all pulled from each other's versions of it, and we can all be critical of other bits of it that we don't use.
1: Yeah, well, every storyteller is going to have things that they think is more important yeah. and every storyteller is going to have the bits of the story which they enjoy talking about yeah. the most um, I, got, I enjoy uh, talking a lot about the uh, <laughs> the dance the uh, John Healy peeling the skin off of the torso yeah. and playing the music on his own ribs yeah. That's that to me is the Greatest image in it, yeah. Uh, so, but you might get that in a different um, in a different style.
0: Well, I think the best thing to do now, um, without spoiling it, is to go ahead and have a listen to the story. So, yeah. everyone, peel back your ears and enjoy.
2: You know, I've been thinking a lot about death recently. But how I'm going to go, how I'm going to dispose of the body. There's a couple of options, but ultimately, I could go for the old classic, pine box in the ground. There's something deeply comforting about a coffin. It's good money in coffins, as my father used to say. In fact, there was a man by the name of Daniel Crowley, right? He lived in a small village called Ballincolleg in County Cork. He was a coffin maker by trade, meaning he was the wealthiest man in town. It's not that he wanted to be. People just kept dying on him. In fact, one evening, around about six, he got a knock on his door, and when he opened it up, he saw a man with a hat in hand who begged him for a coffin. It turns out somebody had died at the other end of town and was in desperate need of one because his wake was already underway. Dan ran out back, took down one of his pre-made coffins and set off for the other end of town. When they arrived, Dan helped them in with the coffin, loaded the corpse inside. And as he was making for the exit, somebody grabbed him by the arm and said, Dan, will you not have a drink? Of course he would. Dan was led to a chair. The drink was pressed into his hand. And as he was quietly sipping away, Somebody asked if he would like to tell a story. And almost without realising what he was doing, Dan, downed that drink, stood up and began to tell a tale. The crowd was shocked. Dan wasn't really known as somebody who enjoyed parties. And when he was finished, they asked if he might like to sing a song. So he sang this beautiful old Irish air. When he'd finished the song, they were about to ask if he'd like to sing another, but he was already singing. He had become the life and soul of the wake. People who, known him for years, watched on shocked. Had never seen this side of him before. One woman in particular was looking at him in a very new light. Watching Dan perform, she was becoming filled with this deep, dark desire. For Dan to become her son-in-law. You see, she had three daughters, all of which were old enough to marry. Not a single one was engaged. And let's face it, Dan was now the most eligible bachelor in town. So the woman lent to her neighbour, who was sitting right beside her, and asked if the neighbour liked the look of Dan, and if she thought if Dan would make a good match for one of her daughters. The neighbour nodded enthusiastically, because she knew Dan was loaded. She then offered to go over to Dan and sound him out, see which of the three daughters he might like best. She hoiked up her skirts, rushed over, plunked herself beside Dan and said, Dan, do you see those three young girls? Actually, that's really creepy. There's three young women sitting over there. I'm pretty sure one of them is eyeing you up so she can become your wife. Dan looked at the woman. His face, a picture of abject terror, and he screamed, Get away from me, demon woman! There is not a woman wearing clothes who I'll consent to marry. I will never allow anyone to lure me to their bed, just so they can rip off my head and feast upon my insides. Uh, You see, this was a time when Ireland was still deeply Catholic. So all that poor Daniel Crowley knew about the birds and the bees, so to speak, was a book he'd found on the mating habits of praying mantises. So he was very confused. And for some reason, the mother of the daughters took exception to his outburst. She stood up tall. (gasps) Bad luck to you, Dan. You're not good enough for my daughters. Sure, you're not good enough for the company of the living. It's the dead you belong with. Damn right, shot back Dan. The dead are the ones keeping me in business. You don't see me making coffins for the living now, do you? Well, if you like the dead so much, Dan, why don't you go join them? Maybe I will. In fact, anyone who I have made a coffin for is welcome to join me in my house this evening. Dan left at that point. But you should watch what you say at a wake. Because as he made his way home, Dan noticed but there were some lights on inside his house. This unnerved him. He had snuffed out every candle before he left. He was now terrified that someone had stolen inside and was trying to rob him. So he hunkered himself down. He crept up to his window, and peering inside, he could see them. Dozens of corpses milling around his house, searching for food and drink. Deciding it was probably best to leave them to it. He backed away from his house until... He backed into something. Hello, Dan. Hearing the voice, he turned around and he saw a skeletal corpse looming over him. Do you remember me, Dan? Quite frankly, Dan didn't. And the skeleton looked shocked. (gasps) I'm hurt, Dan. For I was your first customer. Then Dan did recognise him. He took the skeleton by the arm and marched proudly into the house. Because now he realised all of his favourite people would be there. His customers. Soon as he walked in, Dan recognised a few of them. There were the O'Sullivans. Sure, they only had two legs left between them, but they made a gorgeous couple. And there, in the back... Katie McGraw. The poor woman had been so poor, she hadn't been able to afford a coffin when she died, so Dan, out of the goodness of his heart, had lent it to her. And that's probably why she wasn't meeting his eyes now. She was terrified he was going to ask for the bill. And there, limping towards him, was his cousin, not dead in the ground three months, Jimmy. How are you doing, Dan? he asked. I'm fine, Jimmy. How are you? I'm awful, Dan. I'm dead. Have you met everyone? And of course he had, but Dan decided reintroductions were in order. He went around shaking everyone's hand, and even when hands came up in his, he didn't care. Until music was called for. It just so happens that one of the finest fiddle players the town had ever seen, a man called John Healy, had been one of Dan's customers. As per John's request, he had been buried with his fiddle and bow, but over the years his fiddle had been damaged. There he was, fiddle-bow in one hand, scratching his head with the other, at a complete loss of what to do, as the crowd chanted louder and louder for music. And then an idea occurred to him. He stopped scratching at his head, and saw just how much of his flesh was coming away in his fingernails. He then ripped open his shirt, clawed at his chest until he had exposed the bones on his ribcage. He then bent over almost double, took the fiddle bow and began to play, each and every rib sounding a different note, perfectly in tune. As the music began, so too did the dancing. Everyone leapt to their feet, searching for a partner. The O'Sullivans tore a foxtrot across the house, which was a sight to a hold. And then a woman, slowly, got off her chair and began to walk towards Dan. Looking at her approach, Dan had to admit she was the most beautiful dead body he'd ever seen in his life. Her skin was that perfect ashy grey. She had that dead-eyed fish stare he loved so well. Looking at her, he felt that maybe, just maybe, this was the one he would allow to rip off his head and feast on his insides. That was when he took her in his arms and they began to dance. As a fight broke out. It turns out, another of Dan's customers, a man called Jack Lynch, had been married twice while he was alive. Now, before you start judging that he had been married, and then his wife had died, and he had simply remarried, it's just this tends to cause issues in the afterlife. Both of his wives felt it was their right to dance with him first, and they began literally pulling the man back and forth, back and forth, until the first wife let go. She then turned to the second and said... Sure, look, Eileen, you shouldn't be dancing with my husband at all. Sure, you don't even have your own shin bones. Jack looked at Eileen with horror. Is it true, Eileen? Are those not your own shin bones? And poor Eileen couldn't even look him, her husband in the eye. No, she said. Mine were damaged, so... In order for me to dance with you this evening, I had to borrow the shin bones of my neighbour from the next grave over. From Kathleen the prostitute. Well, suddenly realising that his second wife Eileen possessed the shin bones of Kathleen the prostitute, quite naturally, Jack Lynch flew into a rage. He just began randomly punching the air. Not that Dan noticed, because Dan was still dancing with his beloved corpse. Eventually they paused in their dance. He stared longingly into her eyes, and she gazed into the middle distance. And they decided to go for it. He reached in for a kiss, which was hungrily received. Oh, it was like kissing a cold slab of meat. Their tongues began to wiggle around in each other's mouths until they parted. He smiled. She smiled until he felt it. Her tongue was still wriggling inside of his mouth. He reached in, took the offending appendage out, and he might have screamed at that point, had the fight not reached him. Out of nowhere, Jack Lynch collided into Dan, sending him spiralling to the floor, and realising that really, it was all Dan's fault that his second wife, Eileen, had had to borrow the shin bones of Kathleen, the prostitute, in order to dance with him he decided he'd choke the life out of Dan. Putting his skeletal hands around Dan's throat, he squeezed and squeezed while poor Dan coughed and spluttered. And then they all got involved, stripping what remained of their flesh away until they were nothing but bare bones. As one, they circled around Dan, lifted him up tall, and deposited him inside one of his own coffins. The last sight he had that evening was of the coffin lid closing atop him. And blackness. When he woke up the next day, he had a hangover that could kill an elephant. He stumbled blearily out of the coffin and looked around. It was empty. There was not a single scrap of decayed flesh or broken bone on the floor. That's when he realized the whole thing must have been a dream. He'd probably had just one too many drinks the night before and. Oh but then he felt it. His neck was in agony. Reaching up he could feel red welts from where the skeletal hands had touched him the night before. Oh no, they had been there. They just cleaned up after themselves. Which is better than I can say for most of my house guests. And that day, Dan retired from the coffin making business. Instead he took all of his money and he invested it into a bar. Because owning a bar allowed him to do what he needed to do every evening from that night on. Because whenever the sun would set, his mind would drift back to that night. And whenever he thought of that night, he really needed a drink.
1: story that is a momento mori that is, is a story that is about remember you will die it it was fiercely entertaining yeah <laughs>
0: I mean death's not that but I actually don't feel bad I'm looking forward to it now
1: yeah, um, yeah if some poor fool is going to ask me around to a disco or a dance after I'm gone well, who's might be a, too bad
0: well they appreciate it they don't get to play all the time you know so no. what no. seldom is wonderful it's like when we get adults coming into the museum which is the vast majority of our visitors, yeah. their reaction in the giant's room is so much more boisterous than when yeah. children went to room. Children are intimidated by the space, but also they play every day of the year. Yeah. God, I don't like children. <laughs> um, but, but with adults, it's like that when the dead come back to play. It reminds me of when the old people had the curfew in The
1: Simpsons. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, it, it, well, I put it to you this way. Christianity gave us another dimension in which to put the dead. Yes. Whereas for the ancient Irish, they're in an underworld. they are a part. The dead are a part of the world. Yeah. They are intermixed, and even in the underworld, you have live creatures like yeah. the fairies living with the dead. So they, the dead were are uh, in the Irish tradition, are much more intrinsic or yeah. much more necessary to life on earth. Yes. Yeah. Is, which is a good message, you know.
0: Yeah, that they're always widows. Like they're not—they're yeah. not that far. There's great stories I've heard over the years where someone's coming home and suddenly they see they see Bernard there now across the road, and they go home and they tell their mother, and she's like, "He's been dead for ten years." Oh yeah. Like, oh, I know, but he was looking great, and he says hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so commonplace.
1: There was there was a stage where every woman of a certain vintage got a blue rinse in her hair and i'd be walking down the street and I'd swear i swear i saw my grand-aunt uh, auntie hanny about uh, three or four times a day and she had been dead for 10 years you know and that probably
0: like, says more about you potty <laughs> than anything else i have to ask though it's not relevant to the podcast Hanny.
1: yeah short for hannah yeah
0: oh okay okay yeah. i've never i've i've i have people called hannah i must start calling them hanny
1: yeah and see how it works out auntie hanny yeah she was a uh, she was a nurse in england for years and she came home after um after getting after retiring from it and she lived in a she lived in a little caravan beside my cousins and she marvellous marvellous lady
0: i say i love when stuff like that just comes in but that's the thing about sitting around and sharing stories and telling stories yeah. and it's i think it's why it's important we have the breakaway space at the end of a tour to yeah. engage with people and, and kind of yeah. Like, they just kind of, like, dispense the energy, kind of, like, move around the room a bit. Mm. Uh, I think they would have gotten on well in that story if they'd just taken time to breathe before they started tearing lumps off each other. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I have to say, Nisha does a very good job. He gets quite... I would almost say vile with the story. Oh
1: yeah, the 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 tongue moving around inside the mouth after it has detached from the rest of the corpse yeah. is one hell of an image. Yeah, you know, and and it it's visceral. You kind of feel it in your in your stomach. Uh, your and it's home. very easy yeah. to picture.
0: Yes, <laughs> oddly though, enough, though we'll never we'll never see it. It's still yeah. something that when it's told in the way Nisha has told
1: it. It just makes sense. Yes. Uh, in uh, The Sullivan, who was married twice. Yes. And finds out that he is uh, dancing with the shin bones of an indecent woman. Which is ridiculous. (laughs) I know. It's like... uh, You'd think after you were dead that maybe some of your old prejudices would go out the window. No. But even, even you're dead, you'll react badly to hearing that you are dancing with a prostitute's shin bones.
0: <laughs> it's... Just, I don't even know where to go with that.
1: I don't, I don't, don't either, which is why I brought it up. Uh, you know, it's like... But they don't do you... have
0: to make sense. Like, no. It, I remember Ruth Frances Long, who wrote the Dublin series, which is like a crack at everything, Hollow in the Hills. Yeah. Uh, those Was in to us, and she said you could get away with one magical thing in right. a story. Yeah. And I think that that story is just so normal. If Like, if those people weren't dead... Yeah. There's nothing unusual about that story. Yeah. But it's just putting in that one unusual thing. But again, Nisha takes it and runs with it. <laughs> but yeah. there's a big difference between that and your version that he he spares Daniel.
1: Yeah. I I, I don't spare Daniel at the end. Uh, from from the version I read, it was implied that he was gone. Yeah. The apprentice uh, finding him the following day. And I thought it, su- it suited uh, the story because... He'd obviously he'd been to the wake house and he had uh, marriage had been offered to him, and he'd turned it down. Yeah. Uh, because he felt that he was too good to marry the woman, and then uh, his only hope is that in the afterlife, some other poor fool will ask him around to a dance. Yeah. At night. And that you have that kind of as he's dying, you have the regrets of, of not uh, seizing life by the cojones. And, uh, That's so
0: morbid. <laughs> it's amazing, like, like I said. There's a vile, vile joy that Nisha finds. Right. And yours right. is just like, oh my god, you've part you've brought me down. You've <laughs> left me thinking way too much about my own mortality. Yeah. Whereas in my version of it, the, the 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 apprentice finds him next day with a broken bottle of whiskey that he's <laughs> Assumes he's been drinking. He's got a lump on his head, and it's like the embarrassment of it all right. So I I've spared him as well, but it. Not in the way that Nisha is, is tied up nicely with buying the bar, well, But these characters like Daniel Crowley, yeah. hey, and you get Pat Diver from yeah. the Malinowski story, and and Lussmore and Jack yeah. Madden, they're 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 kind of single use characters. That's true. That's which is true. which is not particularly uh, environmentally friendly. No. Uh, <laughs> in the the environment of the imagination, I would love to see the further adventures of Dan Crowley
1: yeah I uh, you know if you're talking about cinematic universes, you know, yeah, I think your geese story, the great potato story and yes. the Dan Crowley story. Yeah. all of those three happen in the same timeline or in the same. Yeah, space. I could
0: almost even in the tree geese story, which we've done on a podcast recently. and if you're listening to this, which I hope you are, If not, I'm talking to no one. If you go back and listen to that, like, if the three geese, if he wasn't a tailor, if he was, imagine that Daniel Crowley did settle for someone.
1: Yes. And
0: that's the situation he found himself in. Or maybe it's after the death of the wife.
1: But I think with the three geese story, my thought was, and I mentioned this on the previous podcast, that it is that uh, he works, his work is in his home as a tailor. So, she is looking for attention. She is looking to, you know, maybe go to bed, a little bit of TLC a bit of loving. And and he would rather just work and do nothing and bury her than actually get involved with her. So, in a sense, they are... It is a similar kind of a theme. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah
0: definitely the character is is, is is so so alike.
1: And Maura Nivwainik in The Great Potato, she would rather lie to Ciaran and tell him that she is engaged to yeah. the, the youngest son of the King of France <laughs> than actually, you know, engage with Ciaran, who finds her so fascinating. So what
0: order would you put them in? I'm not going to get into a Star Wars uh, <laughs> a, a thing which you hear, Tyrell, hang us.
1: But... Right, I think, well... Uh, the Great Potato is uh, she talks about her uh, father planted potatoes in uh, after black forty seven so that's mm. just at the end of the famine. Yeah. I'd uh, put the three geese then in the generation that followed that and Dan Crowley then around eighteen ninety nine nineteen
0: hundred Okay, yeah. you've put a lot of thought into that
1: uh no that's just the way my mind works if you ask me a question
0: i'll just pick <laughs> <Yeah>. it up <laughs> whereas in mine is is a much in the great potato she is a woman who will end up with the dan crowley and right. the three story comes out when those two characters meet yes it's yeah. it's kind of like a marvel like what if if those yeah. two characters got together the only way that could possibly end is with her dead <laughs> 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 that's, 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 you know what I mean. I mean
1: you know, Ciaran <laughs> finds her fascinating at first, but maybe after thirty years of marriage, yeah. you would be t- a little bit tired of the thirty lives minutes and the geese. <laughs> that's
0: why. That's why I, uh, you know, I, I'm. Our, our, our visitors are only exposed to us for forty five minutes an hour or so inside. Geez, yeah. I wonder if they could tolerate us for a day.
1: And the message of so many Irish stories is, you know. Uh, Loneliness is, uh, is awful. Yeah. You know, uh, reach out to people. Get involved with people. Pick up the well, not pick up the phone. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, but
0: well, and, and and storytelling has never been more relevant. And listen, we're all coming out of eighteen months yeah. of intense loneliness. Yeah. You know, we haven't had the freedoms that we've had, and I think for there's a lot of people who are experiencing that long before COVID. Mm. You know what I mean? I think we've all like we've been wearing other people's shoes for the last while. But storytelling is a great thing that can bring people together. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I, I love being inside, sitting down with a bunch of people telling stories in the dark. You know what I mean? (laughs) Not in total dark.
1: Not in total darkness. Uh,
0: (laughs) And they're like, oh, where are we? Where are we? These, these, these... (laughs) What's that? These binds are too tight. (laughs) What's running up my leg? (laughs) Deirdre. (laughs) (laughs) Deirdre. (laughs) <laughs> but it, it, there is this great thing like uh, of the storytelling it is it is such a thing it, we all get different things out of the stories but ultimately yeah. we can all sit down and join them together it doesn't matter who you are you can be a king yeah. or a prince or a pauper
1: so it is nice to share this story with you listeners and it is very nice to uh, talk about decomposing bodies on Halloween as well mm. once again last Halloween obviously we were all shot up tight we were uh, so it is It is good. And as well, now, like the dead people in this story, we can have a little bit of a party. We yeah. can dance around. We don't have to wait until we're dead to have a dance.
0: No, but at this stage, it feels like we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been absolutely wonderful party having you on this one. And we've got more dark and twisted stories and maybe we'll have the odd glimmer of light during the winter months yes. with our stories as well but guys make sure to go and check out our other platforms uh you can go on to instagram and see how handsome we are then you can follow us on twitter and see how observant and witty we are or you come into the museum and celebrate how flawed and human, we are as You people.
1: can go on YouTube and see how awkward I am in real <laughs> life, <laughs> or just
0: follow him home. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. We will see you again in a few weeks. Lovely to hear it.